Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. Everybody, welcome to Death by Design podcast. It's Kimberly Paul, and I'm here today with Olga Nikolaev. I've just learned how to speak her last name from from Russia, and it was really interesting. Prior to the podcast, we were talking about your uh, Russian heritage, which I'm always interested in, especially during these times of immigration and just getting to know that we are, in the world we all tend to seem like a melting pot. But welcome to the show, and I'm really happy to finally. Uh, come face to face with you. Uh, you were the one person that has like the one of the 200 hard copy books of mine. So I really greatly appreciate your support. But welcome to Death by Design podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kimberly. It's it's I've been my desire to to be here and have this conversation with you and and to highlight of some of the um, really neat stuff that's going on here in Canada and that I'm part of. So thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. You know, I always like to start my podcast with asking people how they were attracted or how they stumbled like myself uh, into this field that I now love. But what inspired you to work in the field of nursing, because you are a nurse, um, and become part of this whole death education, and in a way, a positive education movement too? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good question, Kimberly. I, I had been asked that at a, another podcast, sort of, you know, how did you come to be? And and I don't think it's anything that we kind of think about as we're growing up. You know, I wonder, what would I want to be? I actually didn't even want to exactly. be a nurse. I didn't actually want to be a nurse. I wanted to be a psychologist. My main interest was really looking at the human psyche and how do we think about things and how do we forge relationships and how do we um, really think about the world. And it was my father who really... Um, kind of asked me to pick a some kind of a profession that had some security. So nursing, uh, my best friend was in nursing. So I ended up going to college. That was at the time when nurses, especially here in Ontario, uh, Ontario Canada, where I, where I uh, live and, and started my humble beginnings. Um, so it was a secure profession to be in. And what I found was I actually um, learned a lot about my own gaps in looking at the circle of life. So I was trained as a labor and delivery nurse first because I figure I like I like learning. I figure you know let me be in the beginning of of the of life and you know it's usually more of a happy kind of occasion. And what I found that death also was there as well, right? It's not mm. that death is is not at the presence of birth. I think again, birth and death are part of that life cycle. Um, and then when I graduated, there was actually no work <laughs> where I lived. So I had to move across the country to British Columbia. And I, so I spent a few years in BC and I actually worked in a long-term care home. So I was 24 years old. I was working in a long-term care home. And what I became keenly aware of is that I was lacking a lot of the kind of skills, interpersonal skills, spiritual skills, you know, cross-cultural uh, cultural perspective skills in what happens when people are dying. Because 
um, I think you're probably in the same camp. Death is not a medical event. It's a social mm. event as birth, and it requires a, a social structure to hold the significance of that particular um, transition in life. And sometimes requires the, um, I guess, some of the skills or some of the supports for the medical system. So my learning really began there because I had been at the bedside, you know, 24 years old, and I all of a sudden started to see um, kind of different things beyond what I was taught. How do I alleviate some of this pain and suffering, which isn't necessarily physical, which is more related to relational, more related to emotional mm psycho-spiritual kind of uh, questions that people have. And as a young person, right, I was like, I don't know anything about that. I'm in the height of, you know, getting getting on so uh, I can expand my life. Um, and it was a real confrontation, I think, of my own questioning of my own mortality, of my own um, start of having this death awareness. And so those were the humble beginnings. And I think through all that, there has always been a thread of having an interest in death and dying because of the impact of what I had learned um, by being privileged enough to be at the bedside. Right? Mm, especially at a young age. Because it exposed so many of my own gaps. And I've always been a lifelong learner forever. <laughs> I will be learning. <laughs> and now I'm, I'm feeling, you know, being now 25 years post that humble beginning, I'm at this point of, let me share what I know and what I have learned and what the dying have taught me, what the grievers have taught me. And let's, let's move into more of an aware, knowledgeable culture where we can see the value of the um, you know, the input of the social container that we need for, for death and dying and grieving. I love it because, <laughs> you know, I, I totally agree with you. I, I never really thought I would end up in this field. I, I stumbled into it. Uh, never thought I would be in this side of uh, the healthcare system. And, you know, by happenstance and personal experiences, I, I believe when you're silent and you're you pause long enough i do believe your life calls you um and and i've tried to resist it for so long until you know my boyfriend passed away and and just was my life imploded and i suddenly felt my grief becoming a mission um and and how i lived because i thought i was living for him as well um, so yeah, I totally get that perspective as a, as a young person, as we both, um, have evolved into, you know, wise older people. Uh, cause I, I remember I was telling my dad just the other day about how I thought he was just so silly when I was in my twenties and he would give me great advice. And now here I am in my forties and I'm thinking, man, that was really good advice. I wish I paid more attention to that. Um, well, the great, the one thing that is exciting happening in the United States is these, this new perspective called death doulas. And I know that death doulas are not new. Uh, death education is not new, but it just seems, I don't know if it's the pandemic or, or it just seems like in the forefront of everyone's mind. And what I found fascinating that not only are you a nurse or you are really interested in helping people better understand uh, this, the, the spectrum of, of death and dying, but you're a death doula too. And, you know, what I'm finding is when I talk to people who have been trained as death doulas or chose, choose this field as death doula, they all tend to be a little bit different, which I love because, 
you know, it, it is not overseen by our government in the United States, which I love, um, because it's then it's it doesn't it's not put in a box. So talk to me a little bit about death doula. What is it? What's help us understand what death doula means in Canada, and I'm sure there's some similarities as well. Absolutely. So I, I think there's a couple of things that that you mentioned, Kimberly, and the one is that. The, the concept of a death doula isn't anything new. When you look at, you know, what does the doula name mean? And oftentimes in, in the circles that I'm part of, it's referenced sort of a Greek word meaning somebody, a woman who's supporting another woman. And fundamentally, you know, um, it was women who supported other women through birthing, right? So a birth doula, right, which many people have heard about or birth midwife with those kinds of things. It's very similar to, to the death. And as I said, when you look at history because somehow somehow we've we've lost the ability to reflect back far further enough to see that what we're doing isn't actually anything new that right. We, we missed, <laughs> right we just we're just like what is this new this is a new thing it's like no because we've forgotten the fact that birth and death were were oftentimes the same and they are and they still are right so when we're looking at um, even in North America, right, there are those communities that because they're vulnerable from having low so socioeconomic status or those kinds of things or the social determinants of health, birth and death are still one and the same for many communities. So we've kind of forgotten that. So it's reclaiming some of the old ways in a, in a way that is maybe a little bit safer because maybe there's more people now. And so we need to have a bit more information as death doulas to navigate through a system that, uh, and I mean here, a system related to healthcare system, and even the legal system and post-death system, because <laughs> they're all systems. And if you look at the overarching system, this is called the death system, right? So how do we increase the death literacy? I'm going to use some of those kind of terms so that people have access to and understand how to navigate through all of those different components that they will need to engage in when they're dying when they die and post-death. And this is part of what we're trying to, to create is, is train those folks and give them good information so they can help others navigate um, a system that can oftentimes be confusing. So death doulas here in Canada, um, kind of, you know, they can call yourself a death doula, a thana doula, an end-of-life supporter. It isn't a protected name, such as a nurse or a, or a doctor, those kinds of things, or even a psychotherapist here in, in, in Ontario specifically. Again, some of those are very much governed by the legalis, legal systems or associations, right? So we're, we're working with all of those different systems to try and carve out opportunities for people to engage in some kind of training that can either because this is this is my ex my exposure my experience of who are coming to the training so they're they're coming people who want to know they want to know how to navigate this bit differently they may have had exposures that may not have been very good so quote unquote they may have had a bad death experience or they're trying to Really, you know, maybe they had a bad death experience in the healthcare system or those kinds of things. So there's, they're trying to gain some more information so they can 
again, decrease some of that pain and suffering and the and the uncertainty of it, right? And oftentimes in healthcare, and I can only speak from the Canadian perspective because we sometimes see it as, you know, but we have it here, everybody's covered. But you only get the information that sometimes the providers may feel that you need where, you know, so it, we're not given all the information because it's it's sometimes uh, guarded by the, the keepers, the, the providers of that information. Not always, but in, in um, sort of general terms. And so people want to better prepare. But how do I prepare if I don't have the knowledge, if I don't have the info? So part of that death doula role is to, in, you know, to provide the emotional support, but also the practical support. How do we navigate? Mm-hmm. How do we advocate? How do we, how do I ask for this? Is it even allowable? You know, I have conversations with clients saying, can I, I want to crawl into the bed with the person. I'm like, of course, ask, let's, you know, negotiate the spaces. It's, it's a lot harder now with some of the guidelines and precautions related to COVID. And so it Mm -hmm. makes it even that much more challenging. But I think people are coming to, to understand that they need to have this own information in order for them to advocate for themselves and then to create a, a, a change, right? I think in Canada, you know, we sometimes look at death positivity in the States and some of the leaders that are out there. And we, we love you guys. So, you know, you and Caitlin Doty and some of the other folks, you know, Suzanne O'Brien and Deanna Cochran and, <laughs> yeah. and Karen Wyatt, right here I am, right? all the folks and then we're up here in Canada going hey we're doing some really cool stuff too (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely and And yes you are (laughs) yes you are you know you brought up death literacy you know throughout my history in in this field I call it med speak in the death world and and the thing the crazy thing is I am not a clinician by background I'm a creative um, and so, but I, I tell people I was raised by hospice nurses because I started in my 20s, late 20s and left in my 40s. And so they really taught me, you know, that, that med speak and how I could turn around and interpret certain things for the community members because uh, we use really uh, unfamiliar words um, in this field, and um, and it's unrecognizable. So I, I do believe um, death literacy is a huge part. And sometimes you don't know what you don't know until it's way too late. And and it, that to me um, is heartbreaking, for sure. Now, of course, uh, you created this Dying Matters Canada. I've been following you for. I mean, it's, um, I should say stalking you for many, many years. And, and I know that's crazy to say, but it's, you, you, you really have a wealth of information that you're um, doing under Death Matters Canada. And I just like that you know, dying matters um, in Canada, but I love that whole dying matters and, the, and that kind of, it does matter. It's probably just like birth. It's a very essential Uh, beginning and death is just that period at the end of the sentence. Um, But what do you hope for dying matters and what, what do you hope to accomplish under that? Wow. Okay. So thank you so much. (laughs) Humble beginnings. I'm getting lots of reflections too. I've had a conversation with uh, um, 
person who's who's involved in sort of publishing and those kinds of things. And one of the things that she said to me was that actually the website that I created and my my vision actually doesn't hold a lot of my own self in it. So this is my personal task is to put a lot more of, of me into it to say, this is me, this is, you know, why I'm doing this. And I think the main reason I, I again, um, I kind of mirrored Dying Matters on Dying Matters that it already exists in the UK as a network fundamentally looking at death education. So five years ago, <laughs> when I started this endeavor, sort of, I'm going to give it my all, you know, that having that death awareness going, if you don't do it now, what happens, you know, when you ran out of time, and you know, time's knocking, so keep going. Um, and so I, I kind of mirrored what they were doing with the hopes of, of uh, bringing out this death education. And as you can imagine, what I found was that it's a hard sell. It, death and dying is a hard sell. And so I had this wonderful vision of, you know, in life dying matters and we need to talk about these issues. And now I'm seeing that now there's a little bit more of an uptake, right? So what I see in the future is potentially engaging a lot of the death doulas that I have I have trained through the different programs and, and some of the other ways that people have come into um, know me to arm them with education so they can really educate and advocate for and empower their own families themselves their communities so that's that's my big vision right death literacy across canada maybe a road trip maybe an rv involved in a couple hey, of come dogs. on yeah hey totally. yeah why not <laughs> totally so it might be you know something bridging the gaps too you know kim and olga and then we go across north america uh, maybe just virtually, I don't know. But, you know, I, I think sometimes, um, again, you know, if, if I kind of date myself a little bit, I grew up on watching Oprah and watching women, um, you know, Marion Williamson and in the, in the age of, of spiritual awakening, I think we're now at the spiritual renaissance where we're kind of mm. going, you know, we're, we're in this cycle again. And, and um, so Based on those kinds of things, I have no idea where this is going to go, right? I hope that it goes, again, my hope and dream is that the, the death doulas will be armed with good information so they can support people in their own community and so that we can shift, right? We can create that social action where we give people realistic choices and options. So this isn't about you can have everything and you're dying. This is about a realistic, humbled um, um, you know, a relationship. I coined a term that I like to use called um, relational autonomy. So it's this notion that, especially for those of us who have some sense of, I want to have, I want to have some sense of self autonomy and freedom. I also have to know that I live in a social structure, whether it's my family or that community. And so we need to be aware of what is my desire and my wish for my dying and my death and my post death in the context of what is available, what do I have access to, who can work with me, right? Um, sometimes mm -hmm. I hear, even in the news, right, people want to say, you know, I want to have my whole body uh, give up for a donation, and I want to have a sky burial, right? So we need to get real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> reality to say, I, I wish for that for you too, but maybe there's some tweaking that we need to do because some of it is, isn't grounded in the reality of what is. So how do we find that balance, right? I think I'm mm. searching a balance in my own life. 
and I'm and I'm hopefully I'm I'm guiding the the death doulas or those folks who are learning from me uh, about death education. I'm grounding them in some reality so that we can encompass all of it: the emotional part of it, the physical part of it, the mental part of it, and the spiritual aspect. So it's not one or the other, but creates that holistic framework so that we really are helping that individual that find themselves in inside of that bubble, <laughs> literally, right, of the people that support them. I love that. So that's, I, that's I, my hope. I, I think you're already doing it. Um, and, and, you know, as, uh, as a, you know, stalker of yours, I, I think you are putting a lot of great information out there um, and you're making a huge difference. Uh, the interesting thing about where I live and where you live, um, a capital system versus a socialized system, is the healthcare sense tends to very be different, uh, extremely different. So it makes me want to ask, do people in Canada die differently under a socialized system? You know, we're capitalist, so we're always looking where can we make money. Um, and I've found it hard to to see people making money on the dying. Um, that to me, that to me is, um, it's a great area. And so I love that with Canada, you bring this new perspective. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that, a socialized system, end of life. Um, and do you guys really die differently in Canada versus the United States? So I, I would I would probably say in my, in my somewhat pseudo-informed mind, what I would say is, we, people die differently depending on who they are, where they live, and, and their worldview construct, or even where they find themselves in the class, right? Let's look at all of those different variables. So absolutely, I think people die differently even in, in, the, in the province of Ontario because of these mm. kind of individualistic or the way in which the life circumstances, right? I think what we might want to look at is what's our approach? So what's our approach to care? And I think that that's where it crosses across all of the different ways in which the healthcare is funded because I think let's, let's go beyond that. So I think fundamentally hospice palliative care if we join those two together, encompassing the what we can do when a person is living with a terminal illness and how they may suffer through the signs and you know symptoms, let's say even of their treatment, right? Let's let's be real that sometimes the treatment are oftentimes the causes of suffering, and that's a whole other philosophical question. Quality Absolutely. of life and who gets to decide in this Fifty Shades of, of Death and Dying. Yeah, <laughs> I love book to come, right? <laughs> so you got to look at that. So absolutely, because there's going to be difference. And I oftentimes, and again, I'm only going to be able to relate to my, my knowledge and my personal experience. When I train people and they come from, let's say, just this particular province, they have various different experiences of being with somebody who has died because of maybe where they live, right? There are differences in rural and urban. If you are living in a large city, you're going to have more people and more opportunity for more care, for having more places where you can die, where you will have more variability. Where if you live in a rural setting where maybe, you know, the population, there is not as much money, much of that will come, you know, maybe by volunteers, right? So it depends mm. on, on where you are. I think 
There's also a myth that the Canadian system, because it's, you know, socialized under paying our taxpayers, somehow isn't capitalistic in nature. But it is. It's always in relationship to the bottom line. Where is the money going and how do we, right? So are we putting a lot of money into here or a lot of money into here? Where is the money being distributed, right? And so there are variables there. I, I spent a number of years embedded into the bureaucracy and how do we decide? How do we shuffle the money around? And oftentimes begging for change related to end-of-life care because, again, when you look at the worldview and social construct of our Western world, it's not a place where we want to go and look at. It's not necessarily a place where we want to spend a lot of time and in investing money. Now we're being called to task to say, are mm -hmm. you, are we taking care of those that are most vulnerable? We're not. So now we'll have to kind of rejig this. And those are going to be some really big questions, right? We're going to have a, a very different understanding through this pandemic experience of, of what other pains and suffering people have. And then enabling them to find the balance to say, I would rather spend my time engaging in life and smooching people rather than keeping my safe, my place myself safe so I don't get sicker than I already am. Really I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> really big questions. Yes. And you know, you made a really great point about a socialized system really somewhat being, you know, capitalistic in some aspects. And even a capitalized system, you know, my dad's like, I don't believe in socialized medicine. I was like, Dad, you have Medicare. Um, you know, and that's kind of our form of socialized medicine in, in the big scheme of things, because it's, it's a system, um, which is they distribute and they deny and they so, you know, I believe there's, there's tweaks in both systems that might even reflect um, each other that, that people are not aware of. What's interesting um, to me after so many years in, in this field, it is, it's always, there's always something that still surprises me um, that someone may maybe not know or, and it, it's been talked about in when you're, when I'm working in the field for years and years. So I guess I'm interested as like a seasoned end-of-life educator, what surprises you most when it comes to end-of-life in your specific community? Um, so my surprise yesterday came to the realization, and, and maybe it's, it's something that's been looping, is that there's a lot of information available. There are some really great resources out there. I just um, found a, a, a particular good end-of-life resource and sort of education in Australia, offering free, mm. free online stuff, right? So um, that's an interesting thing to me is that there is a lot of information that those of us are out there. Sometimes I call the death doulas sleeper cells until the time we need them. And then they will rise up to the occasion because that's oftentimes how we, how we work. Um, but again, it's the, and maybe I'm not surprised. I mean, again, there aren't a lot of us who, you know, want to talk about this. And I think one of the things that I didn't realize is that, you know, being a death educator or working in this field, while though it's, it can be really heavy, it can be really impactful on your own personal life to the point where there's even misunderstandings in some of your relationships where what I'm doing, um, you know, I see as a positive, I see as being optimistic that I have the ability to disseminate knowledge and change. And yet my family might still see this as a very dark, you know, kind of work 
Um, and so that surprises me is sometimes the perception of, of why we're doing this work and, and what we're after, right? Um, again, I think, uh, but it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't, it doesn't, right? Because we're still human beings and we're still unsure about things. I think we're forever going to be unsure about the things that we don't know anything about, right? Um, mm. And death is, a, is, death is a great unknown. It's, it's a great uncertainty, I always try to look at death education as a way of um, helping people to build resilience at the time of change, right? So if we look at death as, as one of the big, big change events, right? It impacts every single aspect, every, everything in our life. But I also look at that, you know, that we have losses all the time, right? Our own um, human walk through life is always death change. So how do we mm. build resilience knowing that maybe something that we we consider bad or something that we consider being really impactful is going to happen? And how do we build resilience so we can be with it, right? And make allowance or not allowance, the wrong word, make space for maybe those people who who can't, who, who don't have the ability to, to do that. And it's okay. It's not to put resilience over fragility. It's just to recognize that we're not all on the same wave and that you right. know, there, there's learning on, on all kinds of different levels. It didn't ran, really answer your question, Kimberly, because it, it, it depends. It, it, yeah, it, all, it really does. Um, recently I was at a dinner party and around a table and, and everybody was commenting about how chippy I am, you know, you, you laugh a lot, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I just have fun, you know, and, and uh, they, they were like, well, how, why are you like that? And I just announced, I was like, cause I'm okay with my death and it, it silenced the complete table. And, and everybody was like, what, w what? And, and I, 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 I believe the more in-depth relationship that I have with my own mortality, it sort of wakes my spirit and, and allows it to come alive to live more boldly today, knowing that something is, that this is not guaranteed for tomorrow. Um, it, it pushes me to, you know, get up early and see the sunrise or, because it might be my last. And I, and I, when you live like that, suddenly, um, Things that didn't have much meaning become really extraordinarily important, uh, and that's absolutely that's how I feel. And in, in some aspects, now what's really exciting about Canada is that you guys you guys never stop evolving. And and what's really cool is you guys are having this new like Death Doula Ontario network uh, is a, is a new community and. So what does that mean, the Death Doula Ontario Network? What do you hope to accomplish? So again, it was something I created this summer, actually, looking at the fact that we didn't necessarily have an opportunity to meet in person, right? So I have, through um, the different... Um, contracts that I've had with colleges and, and teaching specifically end-of-life doulas and also thanatology and some of the other things that I have done, I find that there there's a need for us to, to come together, to have a forum where we can talk about, because um, talk about death and dying, talk about how do we do this work, how do we create social action, um, and I wanted to provide some, some guidance and some support and also the ability of those folks to network, because 
you know, what I had seen over the last two years when I would gather people together, they would be so ecstatic that they have now found people that are like them, that they were, you know, feeling a little bit more okay with the fact that they were seen as being abnormal, right? <laughs> Oftentimes it's like, nobody wants to talk about this and here are my people that want to talk about this. So I wanted to enhance more of that um, camaraderie coming together, recognize it that we all come from different perspectives and we may have different um, viewing points of, of how we want people to, you know, die well and those kinds of things. But it was a way for us to, to come together and to con continue the education. My There was also a very pragmatic thing that I wanted to ensure that I had, um, you know, that the duelist, because this is what would keep me up at night, thinking to myself, I trained all these people, and I don't really know if they really got what I was trying to say, and what if there's a potential of harm? And that was a real concern for me, um, because they, they're right now, um, there is no certified end-of-life doula. This is, this is education that you can buy, that you can engage in. There isn't a governing body. And so in some way, I wanted to create a little bit of a, a, a safety place where we can negotiate that and work together on having liability insurance. You know, how do we, because it's a very different um, way of practicing mm -hmm. end-of-life care support. It's not supported within a, within the system and it may it may not be right those are some of the questions so how do we enterprise this into right now only a maybe a privileged position where only those that have the money to pay can pay but i'll tell you there's also doulas there that are integrating a lot of this knowledge into what they're already doing so there are there are um, folks who are working with communities with with lgbtqi2s communities they belong they are inside of that community that knows that needs so much of this knowledge because it's not easily accessible right even the the construct of a family and what does that mean then there are those who are working with with disability clients how do we um also support families and and support groups right how do we how do we do that so it was a way to bring them together to say you're not alone and this is how we're going to forge and because i live in ontario i'm i'm more so aware of the legalities related to this province so it's sort of provincial specific but we have friends from other places that that come in Again, I'm part of the administrator facilitator of this network, but I'm really looking at how can we grow this together. So it could go beyond me, right? At one point saying, okay, somebody else needs to, to hand it off. Right now, it's a little premature baby that I'm coddling, maybe a little bit too much, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> Again, it, Who knows? it could transform. It could transform. It could end up being the death educators, right? Because this is right now what I'm what I'm um, strongly suggesting is, you know, you've learned something. Now it's time for you to share share this with other people, right? And then clients will come come from that. Um, forge what you need from this so that it can still uphold. If you're going to use end of life doula or death doula, we want to maintain that that pseudo-professional name and what it means, but also there's there's other knowledge that we can utilize in the community and, and fun ways of doing it, you know, death cafes and dialogues or death mm. chats, you know, let's, let's talk about death, baby, right? Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> you and me. Let's talk about all the things that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> Right. And it is about bringing right. humor into it. I bring a lot of humor into my teaching because I think it also can get so heavy, so, so heavy.
right? Where we need to kind of let's break this open. Let's let's have some fun with it because, and and even you know when you talked about I live my life, you know, laughter and it takes work. Like there are times when I have to like put on the music, do my cry, and then do my dance and do my songs because I'm trying to shift all of the stuff inside of myself. Absolutely. Uh, so can anyone join your network? Well, right now it's specifically more so for, for somebody who's had some formal training. And okay. so somebody who may have gone through, right, some form of, of, and because there are different programs and different ways that people come to that knowledge. I'm specifically focusing on Ontario because, again, looking at how to build this network within this particular province, right? Because there is, sure. we also in Canada have the End of Life Doula Association of Canada. So it's overarching. That's more, I look at that as more of an association, looking at professionalizing the role potentially, where for me, the network right now is doula led and you know what are we going to talk about and the number one thing that all of them have said through uh, a survey and i think i have we have about almost close to 80 members since june um wow and what they've talked about is public awareness and public education so speaking about death literacy speaking about what this means you know putting online zoom calls doing death cafes getting people out so again we can we can flood with with all kind of knowledge, all kinds of knowledge around death and dying, and what people need to I love know it. from from their community. I love it. Connect. I love it. Absolutely. So, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on dyingmatters.ca. Although I'm kind of not not present there yet, I'm just building um, the part about about me website. And you know, uh, I like many other people will just Google a name if I'm interested in someone and see what what comes up, see what's in the public sphere. So dyingmatters.ca, you can Google my name. Um, I do have a little bit of a YouTube channel where I have some snippets and some some things that I have done. Again, um, you know, it's one of those things when I'm thinking to myself, well, am I ever going to be ready to, to put myself out there? Um, and I think I'm, I'm doing that, right, bit by bit, because I'm continually changing. I'm transforming all the time. There's a core um, that's always been there. But I think I'm, I'm adapting to the environment. What are people looking for? What do they want to know? In what kind of way, right? We have to be very adaptive. That's great. That's really fabulous. Well, I can't tell you and express to you how much you have taught me in the past 20 minutes, but also through the years that I've followed you um, on social media and I keep doing this really great work and um, and just know I'm, I'm a supporter right here in the United States and uh, whatever I can do to support your efforts in Canada, please know that you have a great following down uh, in the States as well. That's so awesome to hear. Thank you so much, Kimberly. This is fantastic. <laughs> So I, what I would love to do now is I'm starting kind of an overflow um, with my podcast guest and, and I'm coming back on. It will be a little bit of a video um, for my YouTube channel. And what I'm trying to do is, is really take um, a couple of questions um, out that we don't talk about in the podcast, but that way they can see you. But um, what I'm, what I'm really thinking, if you would like to participate, is, is I would love to chat about 
um, now that we've you know finished the podcast, it really is about COVID nineteen right now. Um, you know, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's it, for some reason, you know, COVID is looked at as such a negative thing, and it is. It's horrible. We've all been isolated and quarantined. Um, but yet I see so many things evolving around our field, death and dying, that's coming to the forefront because of a pandemic. Um, and I guess I just wanted to ask you is, what are the things that you see that are coming out of, of this pandemic that's sort of positive um, in our field? So I, I think there's probably two things. Um, one is that there's there's more of an uptake for people to come online and to learn in this way, and and I think one of the the real um, gifts from this has because I, I worried I worried about whether or not this this way of disseminating some death education would fail to enable people to connect in a very intimate way. So oftentimes I say to people, you know, this is going to touch you personally because you're going to be confronted with your own mortality. This is going to touch your family because you're going to start hopefully talking about these things and so on and so on. So it's going to have an impact. Um, and so I oftentimes will say we get very intimate very, very quickly. And so I'm, I was very happy that my experience in teaching that there wasn't um, the the loss of that intimacy through this particular medium. Actually, I think it might have brought it even closer because we weren't in hotels rooms. We weren't, you know, we weren't in a conference room. We weren't in, in a classroom. We were actually in each other's home so that mm -hmm. I could, you know, I would see the cat and the dog and I would see the husband go by and it, it became much more intimate in that way. And I think so, so there's opportunity then for me, as I think into the future to have family meetings using zoom or some kind of a virtual platform. I have, spoken you know I, I converse a lot with with families who are who are in Europe using Skype and I have been mm. for 10 years so it's I'm used to it I'm really right. Um, right so I think that it's it's very quickly we can adapt to that technology where it wasn't necessarily as quickly you know I remember having a conversation with somebody five years ago around um, live streaming funerals and how he was trying to get into the business to provide live streaming support services for funeral and how he was getting shot down, shot down. Well, phew, here we are booming streaming funerals and different ways that people can connect, right? This is the real opportunity here. If I may not have the opportunity to go and maybe visit a family member that's somewhere far away, I can now be able to be connected through the camera to be present, to Right, because the brain doesn't necessarily know virtual and reality, right? It it takes right. simulation in that way, right? So I think that there's an opportunity to do just this: that we can raise um, awareness, that make it accessible to a lot more people. Obviously, we need to be conscientious of the people who may not have access to this form, right? Because um, the connectivity is also an issue. So, um, and the other is that I'm seeing that again, there's more of an uptake. Right. So there's maybe because of COVID, there is that, you know, whoa, this cat, I could die. Right. I think it's gone a little bit further where now we're shaming people. It's like, you will die. Or it's like, right, well, right. Hold on a second. Now we're using it the other way. So I think that it will reveal some of the, the, uh, somebody used a really good term and I, 
I forget it, like a wit idiot. So not people that are, you know, without awareness, but but maybe people that might get caught up into some of the things without some critical thinking, right? Mm. I think we, we are asked now to do some more critical critical thinking. I'm hoping that that's what it will provide as a way of saying, okay, and again, that, that tension between the social and the individual, right? So mm-hmm. my 92-year-old mother who has dementia may not be able to understand COVID and the restrictions and to what degree, right? To what degree do we enable that engagement, looking at risk, risk for who, what kind of risk, weigh the, weigh the pros and cons. Hopefully, we're thinking about some of those kinds of things. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution and uh, joining the Overflow family. And, and that way people get to see you and it's just not audio. So I appreciate your uh, very articulate uh, viewpoint when it comes to what COVID is doing in, to our field and evolving our field in a lot of different ways. So um, thank you. And again, thanks for being a guest on the podcast and, and we'll keep in touch. So awesome. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It's fantastic. (laughs) All right. Any other questions before I let you go? Um, You have somebody that that does your editing for you or do you do it? I do. No, I do. I, um, I don't love that part. Um, he he doesn't do a lot of editing, but he he can get in there. And there's a lot of guests that will do a lot of pausing and thinking. And yeah. I take those sort of things out. We we try to be very uh, conscious of not manipulating a conversation because you can yeah. in the editing field. So I, we take out some ums and it's mostly him editing me um, and giving me pointers and things like that. But yeah, he does, he does a lot of my uh, editing behind the scenes, Jason Andre cool. with seven season films and, um, and I've passed his name on to other people too. And so he's working with them, but he's, he's really a coach um, because he'll be, he'll call me out of the blue if he's editing. He's like, you sucked on this podcast. You're killing me. I'm like, I was like, good to know. Good to know. And he keeps me really grounded. But we go back to, you know, I've known him 15 years. Uh, We used to surf in Costa Rica together and sort of, uh, you know, he feels like a younger brother. Um, Mm. So I, I love having someone like that in my life who's not going to not say something because it might hurt my feelings. He's very right. upfront and he wants, he does, he says certain things, critical search, um, specific things to make me only better. Um, so we sort of have that relationship. Yeah. That's so, good. yeah. We need people so, like that, right? Yeah, we, we do. Like we do. Um, absolutely. And, and <laughs> yes, we do. I, especially me um, to call me out <laughs> and yeah, cause I can be, I can, you know, get so excited. I was just on a phone call the other day and, and this lady is new to the field and she goes, you're excited about a casket, your casket that you're making into a bookshelf that you're <laughs> going to lay in when you're dead. And I'm like, I know, isn't that crazy? And she's like, uh, you're, you're crazy. <laughs> so I dug I mean, my but, own grave. Yeah, and, you did. And slept in it. Mm-hmm. Oh my, yo. So, you know, I, it, it's nice not to feel so weird about it. And I, I do want a relationship with my death and not, I, 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 I want it planned out, but if it doesn't go that way, then, you know, life changes. Um, for instance, I never w- really wanted a funeral. And as I've grown in this field, I realized the funeral wasn't for me. 
Um, and so I was like in, in my will and advanced directives, I'm said, look, I'm really not interested in a funeral, but if people need that, absolutely, absolutely. I will absolutely love to be honored. Um, yeah. but I, I, I don't need that. Um, and uh, so that might be something that I've learned along the way too. So, hey, so how can can we should uh, collaborate on this some things and and what we could chat about? I mean, whether it's um, you know me helping with your virtual expo coming up or um, yep. whatever I can do, keep me in the loop, and I'll definitely let you know once we get the registrations for speakers up with this uh, expo, uh, beautiful expo, Diane. I'll send it. I'll send the link your sure. way. Um, sure. Because I love the perspective of Canada um, and, and other cultures because we can always learn from them how we can implement some of that within our own communities, too. So I, hopefully, yep. hopefully by next Tuesday, the website will be up so you'll be hearing from me. And you want another in- interesting um, thing? So I'm, please, I'm also, please. I'm also part of the Medical Cannabis Educator Association of Canada. We're just developing this new association. Yeah, I've just completed um, university training in cannabis and how to potentially use some of that for end of life and looking at, right, how do we even have psilocybin as a way of relieving some restlessness and anxiety or how we can use the teacher plants for ourselves to oh yeah get a little bit yeah. more insight in a in a way that isn't about you know let me get out of this headspace that i hate being in but you know how else can i how can we form eh, all kinds of stuff <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> so that I, could be, I, think I think i'm the only person in the world that is allergic to cannabis is that right? It throws it. It closes my throat. Huh. Interesting. So you the might, smoke you does. Might, you have a ragweed allergy. Um. Or, or some kind of a maybe there must be some kind of an allergy that the strain has. But yeah, you, you know. Yeah, I. I do, and but yet, um, you know, because of my lack of experience, I was in Las Vegas over Christmas, and my cousin was came from North Carolina. She goes, I need. I need edibles, and so I can take them back to North Carolina because it's not legal there. And and she got cookies, mm-hmm. and I ended up I was going to a meeting downstairs, and and so I t- I ate a cookie, a whole cookie. I I I couldn't. I thought I was not even anywhere near the earth. And my cousin came back and said, you know, hey, or did you feel the effects of the cookie? I'm like, yeah, I ate the whole thing. And she goes, what? What? You're only supposed to take a bite. I'm like, then why don't they make quarter? Pieces? quarter. I mean, yeah, it's like, then make it a quarter. <laughs> don't, I mean, one cookie, one serving. I mean, I was like high as a kite. Um, and to the point that the people I were meeting with, it was because it, Hilton was a sponsor of my Live Well, Die Well tour. They were they're the guys that were giving me this tour around this whole Hilton. He had a Scooby-Doo pin on, you know, and he kept going in and out. He totally knew I was baked. <laughs> and and I, my, my throat was like really tight. Mm, um, so there's, there's got to be something in there. Interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, just like a friend the other day, he he had a a mint, um, and I I was having a really bad day the other day, and I keep it in the my hand of that one little mint in the hand of my Buddha, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take that today, and it was fine. It was fine. I felt like a little bit like nice. So it might be the amount that I might be taking versus the, you know, an allergic 
Um, but I, I will say if I puff on a pipe, um, my throat is, yeah, it has more reaction. And, and I to guess that. it's, it's part of it. I mean, the, the dry, the, the salivations dry up, right. Everything comes in, yeah. little, you know, and then your, your belly kind of expands when you go, Whoa, what is this? Right. Those, those, and it makes me paranoid. It can, um, it yeah. can again, set and setting. What's the set? What's the mindset? And then what's yeah. the setting that's all going to trigger stuff because your mind's being open to more stimulation. Your whole endo- endocannabinoid system is like, whoa, what are we paying attention to today? Right? So when yeah, you do that's something a great like that, point. you want to be, be in the woods. You want to be connecting and spending four hours watching a strawberry Good. That is a great, well, I mean, in college, everybody's like, Hey, choke on this. And I ended up being in the back seat. My dad's Virginia state police. And so I ruined their back seat because I heard the police siren and I wanted to get in the trunk to hide. And I mean, I had to, I mean, it cost me money to repair their back seat. That's how crazy I was like, no, they're coming to get me, my dad. Um, so, uh, you know, I've always had this kind of aloof relationship because of that one specific incident, but yeah, it's, uh, I need to, um, I need to, like you say, be more prepared and get in the setting and, and put myself in that open-mindedness. Um, good tips, good tips. But That'll yeah, be part of my, my next it. thing is, is doing some kind of counseling, right? Cause I'm in the same boat, right? Okay. I had a, an experience when I was 19. Oh, hell no, I'm not doing that anymore. Didn't get reintroduced to cannabis until I was in my 40s and went, oh, this is interesting. And the person who introduced me kind of guided me through the process of small little bits where now, right, it's like being, okay, let's let's play with this. And I know I have enough anecdotal or experiential and now more learned kind of knowledge to have um to be able to provide a bit more guidance to people and now looking also at psilocybin too right those are the conversations Mm -hmm. that we're having it's so much fun at the meeting with the with the cannabis ladies because it's all ladies the cannabis educators (laughs) are like what's your substance this morning and they're like oh i'm having a little mushroom tea and i'm having a little doobie here and i'm having a little cookie here it's hilarious it's hilarious oh that's so great that's so great (laughs) <laughs> you know what I love is it's not as taboo as what it used to be. And, um, and that's what, because it is a nat. I, I get, I'm related to it because it's a natural thing. Um, and so it's, it's an herb, you know, yeah. basically. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, well, look, thank you so much for, um, chatting, but when you get up and running and, and starting to educate people on this cannabis, I think that's a whole nother podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally do. It's but be a, that's a whole other education. That was that's why, so the 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 new thing that we're putting out so across Canada it's called Educanonation. <laughs> Educanonation. So that's I what love we're it. We're get, gathering it. the association put together, getting all the educators together, and then we're gonna that's gonna be our our product that we're gonna spread across Canada. That's awesome. well look have a great day i'll let you know when uh this podcast is up and running and um there's anything uh, that comes up shoot me an email and vice versa especially next week with that beautiful and uh that beautiful dying expo coming up yeah absolutely please do thanks a lot thank you so much for your time it's nice to see your face too (laughs) for sure (laughs) all right bye bye Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. 
This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.